don't you feel that actually Theresa May herself was partly responsible for that? Because, you know, from the beginning, there was a, you know, a line push that uh, you wouldn't reveal the hand, the negotiating hand. This was some of this was before your time. Um, and also there was then later, uh, you know, a lot of accusations that she was kicking the can down the road, sort of pushing that final denouement between her and the party further and further away. Um, should it have been confronted earlier? I always thought that the indicative votes moment in Parliament was really telling because it was, it was the sort of final moment where it had almost got to, well, what else do we do? And yet still there was an inability for sides to come together and think, well, actually, what do we need to do? How do we face up to this? Yeah. So the indicative in votes moment was incredibly telling because they basically rejected all of the options available. But even then, one of the problems was that some of the options in the indicative votes were not realistic options. Mm. You know, they were unicorns, to use the, the term that became prevalent at the time. So the, obviously, the, the book as a whole is very supportive of what Theresa was trying to do. Mm. If I could go back in time uh, to when she first became prime minister, the thing I would ship... People often talk about the red lines. Yeah. I mean, actually, the main red line was we're leaving the single market because we're ending free movement. And for what it's worth, and I campaigned for Remain, I didn't want to leave the EU, mm. but for what it's worth, I think she, is, she was right that if you had tried to stay in the single market and the customs union, and presumably people would have wanted to maintain security cooperation, and you would have had to have a fishing agreement to stay in both of those things, that would have been indistinguishable from staying in the EU. It's mm. very hard to, for me to see how that solution would have been any kind of acceptable compromise. So that was really the only significant red line, mm. and I agree with her about that. But where I would say you could have done something a bit differently is before you tr triggered the negotiations and before you set out what the government wanted, you could maybe have published a white paper that said, look, these are the choices. You know, the UK could stay in the single market customs union. This is what that would mean. Mm -hmm. It could uh, just stay in the customs union. This is what that would mean. It could have a, leave completely, but given the EU's position and given our own responsibilities in terms of the border there, there would have to be some kind of arrangements in relation to Northern Ireland and Ireland. It could leave with no deal, or it could try and pursue some kind of new model, which is what she actually tried to do. She didn't describe it in those terms, but essentially her solution was to try and see if we could have some kind of single market for goods mm. and disentangle the four freedoms, which very difficult to negotiate, but was an attempt to square uh, the circle in terms of some of the difficult choices involved. And I think if you'd set out those options clearly and why other things were not potential answers, we might have at least had a more honest debate amongst ourselves about what the choices were, and it might mm. have helped a bit to resolve the situation. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the conversation with the country and with MPs. Yeah. And the other theme in the book is obviously uh, the role of cabinet, you know, the big checkers, um, meeting was a, a big moment in yeah. the book. But you talk about how some in Cabinet felt excluded from Brexit negotiations and sound a bit, you know, that th that was perhaps a bit of a mistake. On the other hand, though, you, you accuse Boris Johnson of uh, refusing to grapple with the policy detail, seeing Northern Ireland as just a smokescreen that wasn't the sort of the big issue or, or even pretending that those problems didn't exist. Again, do you think that she, even with her, you know, difficult political position, that she should have forced it to an issue earlier? Should she have sacked Boris Johnson? So, I, I, let me take, before I answer that question, let me take a step back. Yeah. I mean, so I think she tried very hard to involve the full cabinet in the decision making. The problem we had was endemic leaking. Mm. I mean, virtually every cabinet meeting that was about Brexit leaked within an hour or so of the meeting closing. 
And that was extremely damaging to the governance of the country. It made it increasingly difficult to take the big decisions in that format. And so what evolved over time was a sort of smaller um, inner cabinet that she would consult, and those discussions did not leak. But I can entirely understand that some of the people that, that weren't part of that inner group were not the people necessarily leaking, and, and so they would have felt very frustrated by, uh, by that. I can mm. understand it. In terms of um, Boris, I think he was frustrated uh, as Foreign Secretary that um, he didn't have responsibility for the Brexit process. Mm. You're right, I found, I found it frustrating that you couldn't get him to grapple with the complexity and the issues around Northern Ireland. Um, but in terms of why she didn't fire people, she was very conscious, both of the parliamentary arithmetic and that she was trying to hold the party together on an issue on which she disagreed fairly profoundly. Uh, and I think felt that if she, if she pushed people outside the tent, it wasn't going to make her job any easier. 